Welcome to Daily Daf Different, a Jcast Network podcast in collaboration with the Conservative Yeshiva in Jerusalem. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about the Conservative Yeshiva, please visit conservativeyeshiva.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Hi, welcome to Daily Daf Differently. My name is Josh Kulp. I'm going to be teaching you uh, Daf Tet Zayin, page 16 of Moe Tractate Moe Katan from the third chapter. Uh, we saw that in yesterday's Daf, the Gemara consistently compared the laws of Averut, mourning, with the laws of somebody put into excommunication. The word used there was minudeh, or nidui, excommunicated. Uh, and with the laws of somebody who has Mitsura skin disease. And there was a long sugya, 14 different similarities that I went over in yesterday's daily daf differently. I hope you listened. Um, and today's daf gives us a rare opportunity to see something that we don't always see in the Bavli. Um, we often don't see it. And that is something that I believe is a real practical question that gives us a little of a window into how the Jewish community was actually organized in Babylonia, specifically how do they deal with criminal issues, with monetary issues, with court cases. A lot of Masechet Sanhedrin, Masechet Makot, and a lot of other places in the Bavli have an aspect that seems to be quite theoretical. Certainly uh, some of the issues of punishment and certain crimes, their um, commentaries on the Torah, commentaries on the Mishnah, Midrashim, theoretical discussions, and it's very uh, very difficult to determine what seems to be a realistic reflection of how Jews actually live their lives, and what is actually just what I would call Talmud Torah, the study of Torah. Both of these issues were obviously very important, and scholars, historians, critical scholars, um, halachic commentators consistently argue about which of these things are practically relevant for halachalamaseh in in our world, and uh, scholars argue all the time of which of these things reflect what things actually went on in Babylonia. Now, in my opinion, we have a sugi on the beginning of Tet Zion that deals with nidui, excommunication at length. Most of it is in Aramaic, um, and it does seem, well, I can't prove this, Chad um, Mashmai, with, uh, with no uh, equivocations, that this is an actual real description of how court cases were held in Babylonia. We do know that from a later period of time, from the Gaonic period, from the 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th centuries, and later on in the medieval period in Europe, the Nidui, the excommunication, was a very important tool that the rabbis used in order to um, enforce their rules specifically civil laws, especially civil laws, on their communities. And uh, while we may be a little hesitant um, today, um, thinking about rabbis forcing their rules, putting people into excommunication, 
for um, not observing their rules seems to us uh, to be distasteful. Uh, we have to keep in mind the rabbis were and, and, and judges were the only courts that many Jews had back then, besides the non-Jewish courts um, of the Muslims in, in, the, in Babylonia in, in the Islamic times, or the Zoroastrians, the Persians in um, Babylonian Talmudic times, and in subsequent in Christian Europe or in Muslim Europe, uh, where Jews often felt that they weren't not going to get fair and equal treatment in front of the law. Uh, and if they wanted to enforce the norms, specifically business norms, how to treat other people fairly, uh, making sure you pay your debts, you're con observing contracts, those kinds of things are necessary for the daily running of an efficient community. We're not talking about forcing people to put on tefillin. We're not talking about entering their homes and checking to see whether they're using proper uh, dishes for their food. We're talking about uh, a person who refuses to pay his debts, or refuses to, a person refuses to pay a store, a person refuses to honor contracts. These are the kinds of things that are very practical, and since rabbis were often the authorities, or representative of the authorities, um, in these lands, so they had to learn how to practically deal with them, and uh, without resorting too often to physical punishment, because their power to uh, imprison somebody or to put somebody um, physically punishment punish somebody was often greatly curtailed. They just didn't didn't have the political um, ability to enforce in that type of manner. So Rava, um, in the beginning of Ted Zayin, Rava says Minalan de Meshadrin Shricha de Beidina Umazminin Leiladina. How do we know that we send an agent from the court and we invite the person, the litigant, who is being summoned to court? How do we know that we invite him through an agent? And this is the, the, the questions that go on throughout the sugya. And interestingly, they always ask a question. From here, we can see that part of the court procedure in Babylonia was to send an agent to invite somebody to appear in front of the court. It was done through, let's say, a, a third party, much like a subpoena is still done today. Um, and they always prove these things through biblical texts. But it's not like, I want you to uh, understand, in my opinion at least, it doesn't seem that the rabbi said, well, I want to go lechachira, shape a court system, a legal system. And to do that, I am going to look at, for instance, um, the book of Bamidbar, somewhere in the Torah, and find out how we should conduct court. Rather, it seems to me the other the things went the other way. The rabbi, specifically Rava, who was, let's say, a 4th century rabbi in Babylonia, knew how rabbis conducted court cases in his day, and he looks for proof from the Torah. These are Midrash Mikayim, Midrashim that uphold things that we already know, or at least these rabbis already know. Most of them, at least the beginning ones, are drawn from the case of Korach, who fights for the leadership with Moshe and Datan Va'aviram, uh, the other members of Edat Korach who also were fighting and complaining over the leadership in uh, Sefer Bamidbar, in the Book of Numbers. So I just wanted to go through what are the steps that we hear about. Um, the first I just read to you is an invitation to the court by the Shaliach, and this is learned by Moses calling out to Datan Va'aviram and having them appear in front of Moses. The second thing is that the judge has to be named. And that is comes from the verse, Rifnei Hashem, in front of God. Because ultimately, in that case, at least God is the ultimate judge. The litigants have to be specifically named. And here we can see that there are formal procedures, as is uh, very common in court law and, and in uh, court procedure, that you have to follow court, um, court rules. 
right? You can't just make it up as you go along. You have to say at uplanya, you and so and so, planya so and so, because God says ata vehem, you, Korach and uh, you and Korach and his his Eida, his congregation and Aharon, right? Those are the litigants. Korach on one side in his community and Aaron and Moshe on the other side. We have to set the time because he says machar tomorrow. Um, we have to do this several times. This is learned from another pasuk from somewhere else. I don't want to get into it. But if the litigant, which obviously would have happened if he was afraid of being um, sentenced or being uh, having to pay a sum of money, he may try to avoid the court. So he is given, according to this formal procedure, another chance, and he's invited zimna batar zimna another time. Um, and if he acts in a disgraceful manner to the agent of the court, and this agent comes back to the court and reports to him, that's lam mitchaze kirishna bisha. That doesn't seem to be lashon hara because this is exactly what happens the, uh, in the story of Korach and his Edah and Edatan Aviram, They came back and reported to Moshe that the, uh, an evil report of these people. So the fact that the Torah reports this in front of Moshe without censuring the Shariach means that it is okay for the Shariach to come back to the court. And interestingly, you can see that even though we're in the court and you might think the truth is the only thing that's important, there's still the, the sense here that you can't gratuitously or unnecessarily go around saying Lashon Hara, bad things about other people. Now, the issue of the um, Nidui, or putting him into a curse, these come from Shoftim, uh, Book of Judges, chapter 5, verse 23. This is part of Shirat Dvorah, the Song of Dvorah, where she says, Uru Meroz, Amar Malach Hashem, Uru Aror Yoshvea, Ki Lo Vao Lezrat Hashem, Lezrat Hashem Begiburim. Curse may rose this place, said the angel of the Lord, bitterly curse its inhabitants, because they came not to the aid of the Lord, the aid of the Lord among the warriors. So from these psukim, we learn, first of all, that if he doesn't come, like may rose, he didn't come in the time of need, we put them into what the Gemara calls mishamtim. And uh, the Rishonim debate exactly what Mishamtim means. Perhaps it means Nidui, some type of, edu- of, of excommunication. Uh, whether this is the worst type or the second worst type is a little bit unclear, but it's the beginning step. And if he still doesn't come, notice the verse says, Uru Aror, twice, cursed be cursed. So if he doesn't come the first time, then you put him in Mishamtim, excommunication. The second time, you put him into what's called Cherem, which is a more serious type of excommunication. Uh, then we go on, we learn that anybody who that eats or drinks with him, or even even stands within four amot, four cubits from him, is also um, gets cursed because it says all of the people, it's not just Meiroz, which the Talmud takes to be a person, it's all of the people who dwell in Meiroz, who did not come and who stayed with Meiroz, they too are put into Nidui. And you can see the type of social isolation that would be caused because these people would have to not drink with this person, not eat with this person, stay away from this person. You can see what kind of social influence. Today I would say it would be like, everybody defriends that person on Facebook. Uh, that would send the message out quite clearly that if you want to be part of the community, you better get in line and go to the court. Um, 
His sin is recited in public because Devorah says, what did Meroz do? And so we, we know that the person who doesn't come to the court, his sin is recited publicly. And finally, we get to if the person still hasn't come to court, and I assume this would be a rare occurrence, but if the person still hasn't come to court, there are three final steps that strike me as quite extreme. One is his property is declared ownerless. In other words, the court takes the property away and would just give it to the rest of the community. That would, The threat of that happening would certainly be uh, quite severe. The next step is actual physical punishment, beating him, pulling out his hair, um, cursing him, uh, and uh, forcing him to swear that he's never going to continue to do whatever uh, wrong things he had done. And finally... Um, I'm not going to get into the Midrash in this. He is actually tied up and uh, beaten severely. So I don't know if these last steps strike me as something that are there for uh, warning purposes only, but you can see this sort of uh, procedure of inviting him to court, inviting him again, putting him into Shamta, into a Nidui, putting him into Cherem, and finally, if all of those steps don't work, then and only then did the uh, rabbis even theoretically countenance physical punishment. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Chorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.